You're listening to Inspired Edinburgh, a weekly interview show that brings you raw and powerful conversations with fascinating people from all walks of life. Our mission is to inspire and encourage you to reflect on your identity, beliefs, purpose and worldview. If you enjoy this, please subscribe for future episodes and feel free to contact us via any of our social media channels. Thank you in advance for taking the time to listen to the show and we hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Inspired Edinburgh, the home of powerful conversations. I'm Elliot Reeves and my guest today is Jamie Denyer. Jamie, also known as the Grief Preacher, is a TEDx motivational and inspirational speaker. On the 14th of April 2012, at the age of 19, your beloved nephew Connor Saunders lost his life to a single punch. You since founded Connor's Helping Hand, an organisation through which you deliver workshops and talks, raising awareness of one-punch murder in order to educate others on the, on the devastation it brings and to prevent it from affecting as many families as possible. Jamie, I'm truly honoured to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me, sir. Thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. I think I probably should have made that sentence shorter. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've uh, obviously watched your, you know, your TED talk, which I have to be honest, is, is up there with the best that I've seen. Um, yeah. I really, really appreciate that because, I mean, the TED talk itself has taught me so much. I mean, the, the, the comments that are on there, there is one that actually says that is the best TED talk that I've seen. But mm-hmm. you look at the other... Uh, comments that you know very powerful uh, life changing very very positive stuff but there is negative on there as well and it's like Mm. a lot of people can be on the outside looking in saying how can someone who who is a grieving uncle family member who is trying to bring education uh, um, and kind of help and support to those who are who are truly hurting about this particular subject how could they possibly have any negativity on there but Mm. that's life in general so it's an example that no matter what you do in this life no matter how positive productive well-meaning you will always always get negativity and haters and that's an example to these young kids who are going through stuff via social media i.e bullying and stuff like that yeah yeah you're absolutely right you're absolutely right we were talking um about that before we we had the cameras rolling and um it's certainly something that i I want to to kind of hear more about because obviously you go into schools and you can see this firsthand um before we get there um let's go back to kind of you know the the origin story uh, you know where is jamie denyer from who is jamie denyer and uh, yeah what, what's going to your background born in brighton in 1977 to one of the most amazing mums that you could ever wish for mm. um i suppose when you look at my childhood listen i i had never wanted for anything i mean we were council estate but my mum was incredible, and I had two older sisters as well, who were, who, who were, are, and will continue to be like my support system, you know, either side of me, very, very inspirational women. So I've been surrounded by inspirational women my, my entire life. And it went up a notch when my dad left when I was around about nine years old. So a lot of people can see that as a negative, a lot of people um, experience that and it kind of throws them off the rails a little bit, but do you know what? I never wanted for anything. I never missed out on anything with those strong women in my life. And now as a dad to um, two little girls now, one of them who's nearly six, one of them who's gonna be two in uh, a couple of weeks. Yeah, strong women always have seemed to play a big part in my life, absolutely. I mentioned this to you um, before we started. I'm really interested in, the, I suppose, the way you present yourself. You know, mm. your attire, um, the way you kind of speak as well. What has, has kind of influenced that? Um, it's basically been me myself. I think there's a lot of people out there that dress a certain way just to be different. Um, <laughs> they, they just want to make an impact. But when you go back to my roots, when I was I was nine years old, when my sister took me to my first uh, Beastie Boys Run DMC and Public Enemy concert, like the Def Jam Amazing. tour. You know, I was nine yeah. years old, man. So when when on that, uh, when when you're influenced by that, when hip hop is and has always been and is your your favourite genre of music. You was in a breakdancing crew kind of growing up. And mm. I was subject to bullying when I was when I was younger because 
my friend's cousin lived out in New York and he used to send me over. Now he had a massive interest in hip hop. I loved hip hop. We were, and, it, and he would send me over some of the latest fashions, you know, some of the American fashions. And you mm. can imagine back in, you know, the mid to late eighties, wearing the latest stuff from America that haven't even hit the shores yet. You know, yeah. they, they were, I was, I was a target. I was a proper target. So yeah, it's, it's just wearing what I, what I always have done. It's not for effect, it's, mm -hmm. it's where I've always been. And my history, my history tells, tells you that as well because of all what I've been involved in. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I suppose, your, your way of, of truly expressing yourself. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and this is this is an example to to others. Listen, culture will tell you to be the uh, to be to be a certain way, to dress a certain way. Mm. You have to, uh, and they will uh, listen. Just go out and do you, be you. Mm -hmm. Don't don't ever change because who you are is is, is extraordinary. Just mm -hmm. just stay as you are. Hmm. What was your um, career path? You know, what what did you uh, start doing, and, and where did that kind of lead you? Well, I suppose career path, first and foremost, where loads of other people started, the good old paper round. Yeah. You know, the, char <laughs> the character building, paper round. But then, when I was 13 and a half, this, uh, like growing up on a council estate when you're witness to uh, a couple of murders, there's a load of drug dealers, a load of drug users within, within the flats, in, you know, the, the council estate and where you live, you'd hear doors being bashed in at half two in the morning, police Jeez. dogs being set off, you know you're in and around that environment and you have a certain choice to make. Do you, listen, I had, I had some incredible friends, but they always seem to be older than me. So I, I, I grew up quite quickly, but I had a choice to make, whether I kind of followed some of them into what they were doing or take myself out of the equation, take myself out of the environment. And what I did was, is I said to my brother-in-law who was a fully qualified plasterer and had his plastering business there, listen, I wanna, I wanna learn the plastering trade. So when I was 13 and a half, I learned, I learned plastering. Now you can't just all of a sudden drop school at 13 and a half. So mm -hmm. what you have to do is sacrifice. When my friends were down on Brighton Beach during the six week summer holiday, you know, catching the tan, I was down in some dingy dark basement, you know, plastering. Mm -hmm. But I was always the one with some money at the end, end of the week. But whatever I earned, you know, some of it went to my mum. So I knew what it was like to have to sacrifice stuff to pay your way, you know, you had to give what you earned, you know, so, um, yeah, nothing come easy, you had to put in effort, so it was all these, the, this, this, this work ethic that, that kind of served me well in the future, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from what I learned when I was 13 and a half, like. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but uh, my understanding, because um, I've listened to your podcast with Kirk, Mm -hmm. Dougie Stone podcast, yeah. um, I understand that you, you did a lot for other people even when you, you plastered. You know, you're always, you're, you're, I suppose it's within you to help others. Very much so. I mean, I went through, at the tail end of 2007 when I was, uh, when I was living in Essex, you know, I was married up there. I had, I had, I had a workforce plastering up there. Um, and yeah, you know, I had a mortgage, you know, a quarter of a million pound else. You know, the life, life was rosy, but then all of a sudden divorce come around, financial ruin, and then the credit crunch hit. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the value of my house plummeted. So. I had to make a fresh start and I came from Essex to Swansea, which is where I'm now living with, mm -hmm. with my beautiful wife, Emma, and you know, my two beautiful girls. And I've also got a son, Ryan as well, who's, who's 22, and a beautiful grandson, Teddy as well, who's gonna be one in uh, December. So I, I moved up and I had a lot of weight around my neck, I had a lot of burden, a lot of responsibility, because I had to borrow money to kind of make a fresh start. In the worst economical time in modern history, people were saying to me that you're, you're going to a different country. In the worst economical time in modern history, you are a self-employed plasterer, and, uh, you know, you've got to build a reputation, you've got all this debt around your neck, you have to pay this loan back, you have mm -hmm. to pay a mortgage, you're gonna have to pay the bills, you know, James, are you insane? But it was at that point, and that was being told to me by financial advisors, my accounts, you know, all, all well-meaning, you know, even my family, my friends. So, but they, I suppose, forgot or didn't know the lessons in which I learned back when I was 13 and a half, mm. when my friends were on Brighton Beach. I sacrificed stuff to be in a basement. I knew what it was like to pay my way. I knew what it was like to have to, have to put in that effort and show that resilience. And that came into play. So there's a massive lesson that, no matter what you go through in life and no matter how hard it is at that particular time, you have no idea 
at that particular time, how it can and most probably will serve you later on in life. So it's kind of yeah. like life boot camp, really, yeah. that it's preparing you for challenges that are coming up. Mm -hmm. And that's when, yeah, I moved to Swansea and I then realised that within life as well, you have to go above and beyond what other people are doing. You have to not just think outside the box, but go and do outside the box. Yeah. And that's when I phoned up the local newspaper and I said, listen, I don't want you to think that I'm some sort of lunatic, but uh, I want to put an offer out. I've been through some hard times and I want to put an offer out. And they said, well, what's that? I said, uh, I, I am going to plaster a room free of charge once a month for deserving families. And they said, right, it's a fantastic offer. Why do you want to do it? And I told them why. But then they said, right, we want to do, we want to do a newspaper article about it. And then when you choose someone that you want to do the free room makeover for or plaster the room for each other. We want to do a follow-up story. But then, because it went in the paper, other trades started offering their help. So it wasn't just plastering a room free of charge. It was a complete room makeover. Wow. Now, we were doing this for youngsters with cancer, cerebral palsy, blind and autistic, uh, young bullying victims, victims of domestic violence, low-income families that didn't have a penny to rub together. Now, I wasn't in a financial position to do it myself, mm -hmm. but it was just pure guts, determination, willpower, and you know the want to make a change. So then all of a sudden, these newspaper articles are coming out and people could see my, people could see my character, that I was trustworthy, I went above and beyond, and then you know, I'm not gonna lie that it did help me get more plastering business, but that wasn't my, that wasn't my aim. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes it helped me, and, and it enabled me to, to kind of go up against other people, and then people chose me over others because they could see who, you know, who I was and what I was doing. But yeah, the, the payment in which it gave back the, to see a young kid, you know, their face light up or, or a family saying, thank you for restoring my faith in the male gender again, because I'm a victim of domestic abuse and, and men have beaten me since, you know, since as long as I can remember. Jeez. And now all of a sudden an army of men come in and give you this room space. So it worked not just on a, a, a materialistic level, it worked on an emotional level, psychological level, but then I was getting reports back from places like Canada, uh, a screenshot of a front page newspaper in a place called Red Deer in Canada, and this woman named me by name, saying Jamie Denyer has inspired me to do this in my community. <laughs> then I was getting reports back from uh, South Africa and Australia and New Zealand, oh you God. know, of people doing the same. So I'm like, man, and this is the example that whatever skill, talent, service, or product that you have, you can use it to change other people's lives. And with how technology is, the eyes of the world are on you, just make it something worth seeing. Hmm. <laughs> That's just an incredible story. And it's, it's so good to hear that, you know, there are good people out there doing good things which I, I suppose the, you, know, you don't tend to hear a lot about. No, and that's, and that's, and that's the fault of the media, that's yeah. the fault of the culture in which we live in, you know, yeah. scandal sells, drama sells, and you know, positivity gets pushed to the, to the back burner, unfortunately, mm -hmm. but sometimes you feel like salmon swimming upstream, you know, doing, doing the good in amongst the tidal wave of negativity, <laughs> but I just encourage people, keep on swimming, keep on swimming upstream. Brilliant, yeah. Mm -hmm. Who was Connor Saunders? Tell me about Connor. Man, I don't actually think we've got long enough to do this, this boy justice. Um, but it's one of my most favourite things, talking, talking about this, this boy. He was born on, a, on the 25th of March, 1993. He was born at four minutes past three in the morning and he was nine pounds, six ounces born. He was my sister and my brother-in-law's third child, completed the family, Connor, Callum and Courtney, and um, yeah, you know, the family was complete. Beautiful, beautiful little soul, uh, right from the off. He was like my, my mum, his nan's shadow. He loved his nan. Hmm. Uh, but as he grew, he, he grew into an extraordinary, extraordinary young man. His morals, his, his personality and his character was, listen, nobody's perfect, but how he, kind of looked at life and how he dealt with life, it was as close to perfect as you could get. It was like, even when people kind of done him wrong, I'll just give you like an example, if people done him wrong, even if it was someone who was considered to be a friend and they had done him wrong, his, his motto was, it's all right, it's them that's got to live with it, don't worry, 
nothing fazed the boy. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're in a culture now that if someone says something about us, oh man, we have to go back, we have to re- retaliate, and whether it's verbal, whether it's uh, physical, whether it's emotional, someone does something to us, oh, you know, we have to retaliate, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. He was just like, oh man, come on, look, it's them that's got to live with it, <laughs> don't worry. But he seemed to have life sussed. Incredible, incredible soul. Um, and yeah, just complete and utter devastation when his life was taken on the 14th of April. 2012. Mm-hmm. Life would never ever be the same again. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a, a bomb going off. And it can happen at any time. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me a, a bit about what happened and um, I suppose the, the impact that, that that has had on the lives, you know, closest to him, his family, your family. Absolutely. It, it's one of them things that it doesn't just take the life of a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, it doesn't just change the life of the perpetrator. The whole, the whole circle of immediate family, distant family, friends, colleagues, their lives will never ever be the same again. Mm-hmm. It is just not, not, um, you, you have to learn to cope with what has been dropped at your door. There is no blueprint. There is no rules in which to follow. There is no guidelines. You are literally surviving on a daily basis. And how it played out was on April the 15th at half past one in the morning, I received a call from my sister and she said, you need to get in your car, Jamie. You need to drive to Brighton from Swansea, four hours away. You need to get in your car and you need to drive down. Now, Connor's been attacked and he's here in the hospital. And I thought to myself, well, okay, he's he's busted up bad because he's in the hospital, but he's in the best place because he's in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Unbeknownst to me at that particular time, my sister had been told the news that 99% Connor wouldn't make it. And therein was a lesson of just how extraordinary my sister is. She was given that news and she had to absorb that news and she had to get on the phone to her baby brother and give that news, give me just enough to make it important enough for me to drive down, but withhold info that would make me drive like a lunatic and put me at risk. But I didn't know what was waiting for me. I, I, I didn't know that the, the game changer was waiting for me. And that's when I was walked into that hospital and that's, that's bad in itself. But when you walk into an intensive care unit, that's something completely, completely different. That is there, the game changer. That's the bomb going off. uh, um, Life as you know it, never going to be the same again. And yeah, what I witnessed, I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy. And that was my family surrounding Connor. When I walked through those curtains, my family surrounding Connor. And just complete devastation. People broken, hearts broken, spirits broken. personalities and characters change forever. But even though then, like we still had hope that Connor could pull through. But looking back now, Connor was unfortunately forever asleep at that time. Mm. But even amongst that devastation, Connor Saunders carried on showing us and telling us who he was, showing us the path in which we must follow, the examples in which we must take on board Mm. and carry out. Just like he used to say, it's them that's got to live with it, don't worry. He taught us to give of ourselves. We have to go out and give because he saved seven people's lives with his organs, <laughs> including the life of a 10-month-old baby girl, five-year-old boy. Uh, and, we've, and we've got letters from the recipients. And one of them in particular said, I wasn't told a lot about Connor. I was told that he was 19 years old and I was about to receive the Rolls-Royce of livers. He said, you won't know how close I came to death because my liver got, uh, got an infection and my dad had to give me 60% of his own liver because we can survive up to 40% of our liver. My dad, out of desperation, gave me 60% of his own and you would think, well, genetically, it's a, it's a match, that's it, game over. But unfortunately, his body rejected it and he was, and he was close to death. He, then, he, he said, then I received the phone call that changed my life, which was the news that they had got a liver for me. And then you think about phone calls that 
a phone call that changed his life, you think about the parents, my sister, my brother-in-law, that received a phone call 48 hours prior to that that changed their life as well. Your son's been attacked. He's in the hospital. He said, when the liver went in, he said, although I had to fight off infection, although I was still at risk, it was a major, major operation. He said, the doctors and nurses had never, ever seen it before that I had complete function after one hour. That doesn't surprise me with Connor Saunders. The Rolls-Royce of livers had gone in and he said, Connor has allowed me to see my son's second birthday, which ultimately has allowed him to see his son's third birthday, fourth birthday, fifth. He said, music was a big part of my life. He said, I can tour with my band. He said, but I'm writing this letter to you on my wedding day, he said, because Connor has allowed me to marry my college sweetheart. So Connor Saunders' work was, was, was there, was evident. So talk about giving of yourself, mm-hmm. he, he, he took it to next level, yeah. which he then inspired others to sign the organ donation register. You look at the work that's been done in his honour for the Connor Saunders Foundation, up to date they've given out 65, you know, my sister and my niece have given out 65 defibrillators to schools, to uh, football teams, to rugby teams, uh, keeping them heart safe, mm-hmm. teaching kids CPR, a life skill a 75,000 pound mugger that was built, a multi-use games arena down on Rottendean uh, uh, seafront there where kids can go and play. It's basketball nets, there's five-a-side uh, football goals, there's littler goals that go across the court. You've got cricket stumps for kids to go and play. And, my, and, and it still kind of helps heal my sister and my brother-in-laws and my niece and my nephew and my mum's broken heart when people say, people that we don't even know, we had a fantastic time down at Connors Court today. And just little things like that, you have to try and see and have to search for the crumb of comfort in amongst all the debris. Absolutely, yeah. Because I, I, was, I was really thinking that, you know, in, in amongst so much darkness, how do you find any light or any sort of way in which to look at it in a, in a positive way? It's hard. You have to search through debris. You have to search through carnage on a daily basis. It affects people like you would not believe. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law has always been a massive idol to me. Along with my granddad, the two biggest male influences that I've had in my life, because my dad left when I was young, like I say. But right from the age of 18 or 19, my brother-in-law had his own business, grafter, proper grafter, and he had a very, very, flourishing and affluent plastering and damp proofing company but that went after three four months because he couldn't function as a human being because of the murder of his son Mm -hmm. so then there's other people out of work then all of a sudden their livelihood you know is gone your house is put at risk the the car in which they had that had to be sold for a fraction of the price just to keep food in the cupboards a roof over their head that's what it does to people it tests you to your very limit. Yeah, every, every fibre of your being is tested to within, to within breaking point and you don't know how you're going to get through it. You don't know. But you know what? It, then you come to the realisation that you're, that you're still standing. You look at yourself in the mirror and you think, do you know what I am? I'm still standing. I don't know how. I don't know how I'm still on my feet. Yeah. But I'm doing this now, not just for myself. You know, I'm doing this for my loved one. And what I've come to, to realise, Elliot, is death is inevitable. Grief is, is a certainty. There are different levels of grief, uh, but grief is grief. If it is painful, think of it in a good way, because on the different ends of the spectrum, the severity of the grief in which you carry is testament to the amount of love that you had have and will forever have for that person. Mm-hmm. If you haven't got that severity of grief, it means you didn't have that amount of love. If you didn't really care about somebody, yes, it would be hurtful, but you would, you would get over it. Mm-hmm. But if you're fighting on a daily basis to survive and you don't know how you're gonna get through the next day, it means you had somebody in your life who meant the world to you. And that's why people ask me, Jamie, why are you so passionate when you speak? Why do you speak? with so much authority, why, why are you like a machine gun going off that you can just carry on going, be it an hour talk, two hour talks, three hour talks? And one of the comments on my TEDx talk was, why is this guy so angry? Yeah, I saw that, I saw that. He, he needs counselling, he needs a therapist. 
And I said, listen, don't ever confuse anger with passion. Mm -hmm. Anger will want to hurt you and help you and, and, and destroy your dreams. Mm -hmm. Passion will want to help you and help you build your dreams and get to your dreams. The reason that I speak with so much passion and why I'm the speaker who I am is because he meant the world to me. So I have to give him the world when I speak. I speak mm -hmm. for two. <laughs> His voice was taken. Yes. So I speak for him as well. Mm -hmm. Jeez. And it's one of those that I can't, I, honestly, Elliot, I, I could just talk about this young man forever. But I would speak to him in an em to, a, to an empty room. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. But honestly, it, it's, people will go through this and, and just, take, just take some comfort that the severity of grief in which you feel is the mirror image of the love that you had. And would you change it? Would you change it? And my sister came out with, with the game-changing comment. She said, I would rather be the parents of the murdered than be the parents of a murderer. <laughs> that there. She said, I'd rather have 19 years and 20 days with Connor Saunders yeah. than 80 years with, with a life taker. Jeez. So it's, it's game changing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it was a 14 year old that, that punched Connor and it was a coward's punch, yeah. which caused him to fall. And, and that, was, that was the thing that really, you know, did the, the damage. He pled not guilty to manslaughter and he yeah. got off with no charge. Yeah. I, I don't want to speak for you, but if that if I were in that situation, I don't know that I could contain the the anger, the resentment, and the fury. You know. So what do you do with that when that feeling comes up? How do you suppress it? Or do you channel it? How do you deal with it? Energy has to go somewhere. Yeah. Energy does not disappear. Now I don't want to sound like I'm some kind of top of the range phys physicist <laughs> or something, but. But energy can't disappear, but mm -hmm. you can change it. You can change energy. It has to be, it has to be put somewhere, bounce it back. So it is a righteous anger that's channeled. And it's put into, then molded into passion. I'm very passionate about that young man. I'm very passionate about what I do. But when there's that reason that you made a promise, I made a promise to that young man. When, his, when, when he was declared forever asleep, like I, I held his head and I kissed his forehead and I whispered into his ear, Connor, I am gonna look after your family as best I can, but I won't let them fall and people will know your name. So that promise there is, is what I'm striving to keep. So when that's your motivation and fuel, I channel it to to go onto uh, uh, you know to go onto a stage or when I speak to an audience, mm -hmm. people can can call me angry if if they like. But again, it doesn't phase me. People who say stuff about me, write stuff about me, you want to be a keyboard warrior. Listen, crack on, because do you know what? You don't understand where myself and my family have come from and what we've endured. We've endured the 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 mocking on social media of us for Connor's killing. The people that were involved, they wore it like a badge of honour. They were bragging about it. People trolling us, people setting up fake accounts uh, uh, and using Connor's picture and writing <sighs> vulgar stuff. We got vulgar emails, we got vulgar t uh, um, text messages, uh, vulgar tweets. That's what, we, that's what we had endured. And if we go through that, do you think anyone that kind of wants to call me out or say anything about me would, would actually have any effect on me? No, Connor's, Connor's battle-hardened me, mm -hmm. and, and I thank him for that. It's just a, a, a gift, another gift in which he's given. Mm -hmm. But how does it not um, make you like, hate the world? You know, it must have, uh, will have certainly had an impact on how you perceive the world after that happened as to before it. So, so how has that changed? It, it, it does actually turn you into a person that you don't want to be if you let it. You, okay. you, you get to that point where you remember, you remember um, films in which you watched, like, uh, let's say, for instance, Gerard Butler in, in Law Abiding Citizen, when he had that guy up on the table and you start thinking to yourself, yeah, I, yeah, I, I would love to get you on the table. I'd love to gaffer tape you to that table and, and I would do damage. Mm -hmm. I would do damage. And then you're like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. This isn't, this isn't me. This isn't me. As I, as I am right now, 
this is a million miles away from Connor. I, I, I have to strive to be like Connor. Because here's the thing, as soon as this happened, as soon as his life was taken, myself, his, his mum, his dad, his brother, his sister, my mum, we all of a sudden became an ambassador for Connor Saunders. Because when you are living with a not guilty verdict, even though all the evidence was there, everything was there, but when you're dealing with a 14 year old, you knew that the weight was indeed against you, no matter how much evidence that we had to show, no matter whether we like it or not, that the apple does not fall far from the tree. Mm. And how we conducted ourselves at that very moment, from, from then on, will show the world where Connor came from. They will see parents who battle back from grief and want to do good, give out defibrillators, uh, football coaching to disabled and disadvantaged youngsters in schools to give CPR training. They will see an uncle travelling the, the, the width and the breadth and the depth of this country, educating in schools, colleges, universities, youth offender institutes, prisons. Mm -hmm. They will see that the apple does not fall far from the tree. So we became ambassadors at that point. But it's not what we wanted, but here's the thing. So many people do what they want, or they think it's about them. Afterwards, you, once something like this happens, you think, what would they want? What would they do? Mm -hmm. What would they want me to do? And even though it goes against every fibre of your being, <laughs> yeah. you, you, you have to take up the mantle and become an ambassador for that person's name. You have to represent them as best you can. It's such a beautiful thing to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely applaud your your composure and your your ability to be able to, you know, kind of handle it because it's just such an awful thing. And like I say, there's no guidelines. There's yeah. no rule book in which to follow. You you are surviving on a daily basis, and it it is literally a war. You're thrown behind enemy lines. You've got no weapons in which to defend yourself. You are just surviving on a daily basis, and, and it's. You'll never go AWOL from this war. You'll never get discharged from this war. It's there, it's there forever. And you know, you do, you will get those days where you walk through that minefield and you tread on a mine, which is, which is a trigger. You'll hear that song that they loved. You will be looking through some old clothes and then all of a sudden a photo come down of, of them and uh, just everything. You'll receive a vile message or you know, mocking or, you know, mm -hmm. something will trigger it. And that's like walk, stepping on a mine that day. But you take the blast, you dust yourself down and you, and you just get through that day. Um, just take it on a, on a daily basis because that's all you, all you can do. Baby steps to progression and healing because baby steps is, is progress, nonetheless, mm -hmm. even though it is a small step. Even if you're standing still, you are still standing. And that's what you have to do on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. This is a, a sort of a trivial thing, um, you know, in the, relative to sort of the big picture, but I just really wanted to ask you this. Um, the 14-year-old the was, for legal reasons, protected. The identity yeah. was never given out. I mean, do you agree with that? No, I don't. No, 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 no not at all, not at all. Um, that's one thing that I've said to people, uh, and I don't want to sound morbid in any shape, way, or form, but if this does come to your door, just hope and pray that they're over the age of 17. Because when they are below that age, man, they are protected. And I'm, I'm all for having the support for these youngsters because a lot of them, I'm saying that when I'm going into youth offender institutes and I'm going into schools, they are getting labelled and they are good kids. And do you know what? Some of them, that's all they've wanted was a cuddle. That's all they've wanted was someone to believe in them, someone to spend time with them. Because my sister before this, she said, I would not have blamed the parents in any shape, way or form before this. It's the perpetrator, their actions, their actions alone. But after this, we saw the family in which this boy come from. And she said, man, he, he didn't stand a chance didn't stand a chance. You see the bloodline which you come from. You see their morals. You see their, their personality and their character. 
you see, they see the, what, what they do. The dad was apparently proud that his dad, that his son possessed a punch so hard. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> so when you're up against that and you see these kids, because we as a family, it, it's very alien to us because I was very lucky to have the family in which I got. Mm -hmm. They're changed. They're changed people now. They're different to what I knew five and a half, six years ago. They're different people, but they're still my family. And they're, and they're, and they're great, but in other ways, they're inspirational and beautiful, but in other ways now. But we invested in the young members of our family. Connor, I mean, I was 15 years old when Connor was born. And every Friday night and Saturday night, my niece Courtney uh, and Callum and Connor would stay with my mum for the weekend, would stay with us for the weekend. So they grew up and they were like my little sister. They were like my little brothers as well. They, they were like my, you know, my friends. Mm -hmm. That's what Connor was rolled into one. And I, the sign of love and affection that you have for people is who you choose to have beside you at your most important times. Connor was the head usher at my wedding. His older brother Callum was my best man. So we were more than uncle, nephew. We were friends. We were, we were like uh, 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 brothers. So we always invested in them. And when I'm dealing with youngsters nowadays, uh, 13 and 14, and they can't hold a knife and fork properly, they can't tie their own shoes because that, that level, the basic level of investment has not been shown to them you, you, you see that these parents have failed. You need a license to watch a TV. You need a license to go fishing. Anyone, anyone can just knock out kids left, right and centre and just throw them on the scrap heap. And a lot of these kids who are in young offender institutes, who are in uh, 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 prisons and stuff, who are, who are very dysfunctional and disruptive in schools, they just need a bit of love, care and affection. They just need mm -hmm. a hug, they just need time. They just need encouragement. Do you know what, you've done really well there. And when I go in and I do a talk, I'm saying, listen, I don't know your backgrounds, but I might be the only positive male role model in your life at this particular time. So this is an opportunity for me, and I'm not gonna let this opportunity go to waste. I wanna tell you something. If this is the only time that you'll ever see me or hear me talk, this is what I need to say to you. This is the level of investment. So when you look at these youth workers, when you look at these amazing people that are doing amazing stuff with kids, they're not just educating kids, they're not just uh, 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 developing these kids, they're actual lifesavers, because they could potentially be stopping these kids from going down this, 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 this spiral, this downward spiral mm -hmm. of their behavior, and incidentally taking someone's life further on down the line. So they're not just workers, they're superheroes. Mm -hmm. Superheroes, they're lifesavers, because it, a chain of events could happen that that youngster could take someone's life. Mm -hmm. But that's all they need is the basic human, human qualities, the basic human uh, need of a cuddle, encouragement, support, and it's amazing how many parents are failing. And when I'm dealing with youngsters, let's say, in gang culture, and you look at these youngsters who are getting uh, influenced, they're going to a gang, it's because you're not telling your daughter how beautiful she is and how incredible she is. The leader of a gang is telling her, so it makes her feel good. Uh, and or a, or a young man, he needs to feel, he needs to feel appreciated. He needs to feel needed and wanted mm -hmm. somewhere where he belongs. And if he's not getting that at home, he's going to be craving that somewhere else. And then you know, gang members kind of uh, will will give that encouragement and that support. And it's a no wonder that these youngsters are kind of pulled into the life in which they are. It's just a basic human need of love, care, and affection. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what you see in your TED talk. You know, back to basics. You know, just <laughs> doing the, the the basic things well. And it's key. Yeah. That if something wasn't broke, don't it, don't you know it doesn't need fixing. Mm -hmm. You know, you see the relationships and the bonds that 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 our grandparents had. You know, they 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 worked tires tirelessly to to make a relationship work because it wouldn't have been all, all fairy dust and rose petals for them. They would have had to have gone through challenges like you wouldn't believe. But yet they still stayed with each other. They still saw it through and, 
And nowadays it's just so easy to kind of give in and walk away and, and deep and meaningful relationships are, are getting diluted down now. Mm-hmm. And that bond, um, uh, you know, fractured family dynamics, uh, dysfunctional families, uh, and, and you can see that it's only gonna spiral and it's gonna be generation after generation of that. And it's, and it's scary, yeah. it's very scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we kind of touched upon that, um, you know, early in our in our chat. What is your experience of young people today? But what's it like growing up being young? I wouldn't want to do it, to be honest. I think I was now. I know I don't look it, but I'm going to be forty in a couple of weeks. Um, so it. it I think maybe around about my age range was maybe the last, the last kind of generation maybe where, where we had it quite easy, where we were out on our BMXs, out on our skateboards, and mm-hmm. yes, things like the Xbox were just coming out, the Xbox One and, 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 and stuff like that. Yes, we did have the, the um, you know, the Sega and stuff like that. But I mean, I was growing up with a Sinclair ZX Spectrum or the Commodore 64, you know, yeah. it took 15 minutes for a, for, a, for a game to load. That taught us patience. Patience is non-existent now, it, it, it's, it's gone. We live in a very, very impatient generation. I mean, it's like even us as adults, I mean, we feel like drop kicking an iPad if it, through, through the window if it makes us wait for 10 <laughs> seconds to buffer. How dare you make me wait 10 seconds? Yeah. But the kids now, you know, everything is given to them in an instant. If they want food, they can just order it and it's there. If they want to film, they can download it. You know, back in the day, we were having to wait for films to come out. We would have to go to the cinema. It would be, uh, you know, a film would be uh, scheduled to start at eight o'clock, so you get all your stuff done and you're there for 7.55 ready for a film. But now, you know, if you want it, you download, play, you know, at any time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's scary because they're in a very, very technologically advanced age and it's only, it's only exploding. And it's, and, it's, and it's gaining momentum and it's evolving at a rate that we can't comprehend. Mm-hmm. So when social media, who, which, which I think is the biggest threat to our kids and, our adult, and adults' mental health at this particular time, um, yeah, it's only gonna get bigger uh, and it is, it is scary. But these kids are, again, through no fault of their own, they are now in a very, very adult world. They're very open to the world. And when I'm going into primary schools, and you hear the stories of these youngsters and they've lived life already and there's no way that they should have experienced it in any shape, way or form. And I'm thinking to myself back when I'm, I was that age, I was, you know, my biggest decision was, you know, well, what do I go out on? My BMX or my skateboard? You know, what do I want for tea? Fish fingers and chips or sausage and chips? Or, you know, that, that was our biggest decisions. Mm-hmm. But nowadays, you know, a lot of these youngsters are, are, are kind of thinking, I've, I've got to get out of bed and I've got to face the world through anxiety and depression and I've got to look after my, my disabled parents or my siblings. Now, they might be a young carer, you know, these youngsters that might be witness to domestic violence, domestic abuse, and, and, and it's, um, yeah, it's scary. And that's why I say I feel like a salmon swimming upstream, but listen, if it's been bestowed upon me to be a salmon in, in, instead of a part of the stream, then <laughs> that's what I'm gonna try my best to do. Yeah. And listen, I don't ask for lighter burdens. I ask for stronger shoulders in which to carry them. Mm-hmm. So, so when you're in schools and, um, you know, what are the sort of lessons that you're teaching and what are the things that you're saying to them? Of course, there's my one punch can kill mm-hmm. workshop, which is, it does exactly what it says on the tin. But then what I've learned from the aftermath and the process of, of Connor's life taking, I've applied to lifestyle. I've applied to, you know, you know um, going back to when I was 13 and a half and sacrificing stuff. I talk about employability. I talk about work ethic. I talk about effort because it's what I'd done back when I was 13 and a half. I talk about consequences of our actions, good or bad. I talk about, you know, you know, you know everything that I've learned from Connor, put it into a lifestyle uh, message, and it resonates. It resonates with the world. It resonates with any any audience. 
You know, there's no, there's no, listen, I'm not going into schools and colleges and universities, youth offender institutes, prisons, premiership football clubs, gypsy traveller community sites, corporate, uh, you know, the corporate world and saying the same stuff. I'm not saying the same stuff over and over again. It's a very, very diverse message in which I've got. I've got an abundance of material. And that's why if you want me to speak for an hour, I'll speak for an hour. If you want me to speak for two, I'll speak for two. If you want me to speak for three hours, I'll, I'll, I'll speak for three hours if you want me to. That's why I'm no ordinary speaker. I, I will go because I'm, listen, I'm kind of powered. I'm kind of powered. I speak yeah. for two. He meant the world to me, so I've got to give him the world. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to ask you about your uh, your speaking academy um, because I, I kind of have to. You know, like the, the TED talk that you did is unbelievable. What are some of your best speaking tips? What are the th you know what are the ways in which you help people go from you know, amateur to pro? I think one of the things that people need to realise is is yeah the abundance of material in which they have. They may have something called imposter syndrome, where they feel that they, they don't, um, they're not worthy enough to talk about something. Um, and I want to tell people that every single one of, uh, every single one of you are an expert in your own right. If you've lived it, experienced it, got through it, you have the power to change somebody's life. And there, there is this fear. There is this fear that people want to get up uh, uh, and speak in front of others. I mean, if you're at a dinner party and you ask someone their opinion on something, they will pin you to the wall and you won't be able to go anywhere. And they will give it to you, blah, blah, blah. And they can speak for half an hour, but put them in front of an audience. Yeah. It's, it, it, you know, that's when the fear comes in. But I want people to know that they are an expert. I want people to know just, just how much of a, of an abundance of material in which they have and to not be to, to, to not be an imposter. You can have training, you can have speaker training, but you know what, the, the best thing to do is to get up and do it because you have been doing this since you were 12 months old saying your first word. Speaking isn't hard, it's the pressure in which you put on yourself. And yes, that fear will come in, the nerves will come in. I don't suffer nerves when I speak. No? No. Have I ever had a bad talk? Connor Powered. <laughs> I'm Connor Powered. When your second ever talk in which you do, you're speaking to category A sex offenders and murderers, and you're thrown in at the deep end, you, you sink or swim. You're in, you're, in, you're in the lion's den. And you have to be very, very passionate. You have to be very forthright. You have to, be, you have to show authority in those kind of talks. Mm -hmm. Nerves is one thing, and the, if, it's your, if, it's, if it's your bag, if, if you feel that you you know, uh, take away the fear, but concentrate on the nerves because the nerves keep you here in the game. I mean, it, it, it keeps you aware, it keeps you switched on. Mm -hmm. But just go out and do it. Just, just go out and say it because you are doing something that you've done since you were 12 months old. It's that simple. <laughs> That's brilliant, brilliant stuff. I'm going to go a bit deeper. Um, you know, I've got a, a, a bunch of questions around about kind of purpose, legacy, success, and I really enjoy, uh, you know, hearing people's thoughts on these. Mm. I mean, in terms of your own existence, what do you feel is your purpose? My purpose now is to bring light to those in darkness. Mm. What I've encountered and what I've gone through, yes, it's been like life boot camp. And listen, from, from a humanitarian side, if someone is going through pain and anguish and loss, having sympathy is, is a given. It's a natural human you know, quality to have, you mm -hmm. know, to have sympathy for someone. But what this has allowed me, and that's, and that's life changing, but what this has allowed me to do is to have not just the life changing sympathy, but the life saving empathy yeah to bring that to the table and say do you know what what it is you're going through i know i know what it is you're going through i've been there mm -hmm. it's my job because i've been comforted it's now my job to try and comfort you it's something that i don't want to do there are days where i want to pull the covers just back over my head and i have to do stuff through gritted teeth i mean people that know me that follow me they know that i always do a monday motivation i get up and i do a message every monday morning to help people because people moan about monday 
people moan about Monday and they can't wait for hump day, they can't wait for Wednesday, and then, oh, yay, it's Friday. And man, you don't realise you're wishing your life away. Amazing things can happen on a Monday. It's the first opportunity of the week to change your life. And do you know what? When, when you have a big dose of reality and perspective brought your way, Connor would love to be around for a Monday. These people who have gone, who have been taken, they would love a Monday. Mm. Be thankful. Be thankful for the days in which you have. It says, in the, it says in the book of Psalms, Psalm 90, Lord, teach me to number my days. And that's what you have to do. There's nothing wrong with having ambition. There's nothing wrong with, with, with planning for the future. But number your days. Be appreciative of your day that is right in front of you, right here, right now. And live it to the fullest in which you can. So, yeah, so the, the, the empathy element and what was, what was sent to me that really nailed it home for me was was when I received the, f the first email of its kind from a young boy called Nick. And in, just in a nutshell, he said, um, I was in your third talk of the day and I sat at the back to your left. If you had noticed me, you would have seen that I was shaking due to my social anxiety and my general anxiety disorder. He said, what you've said today has changed my life because you have inspired me to live my dream of becoming a history and a French teacher. He said, what you have said and what you have done has not just changed my life, he said, you've saved it because tonight I was planning on committing suicide. That's a 14 year old boy who was thinking down those lines. It was the first letter, the first email, the first bit of feedback of its kind, which I've got, I've got many since. I've got many since because I know that these kids now are suffering. Like I said, they're very open to this, to this, to this adult world and they're carrying the weight of the world on their shoulders through mm -hmm. no fault of their own. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't want to get up that day, if I'd pulled the covers back over my head that day and said, you know what, I don't want to turn up, I don't want to do that, would he have carried that action out? I don't know. If he did, would he have, would he have succeeded? I don't know. That's all I know is because of what I said, because of what I'd done, because I was using Connor Power. It, it was, I've potentially saved a mum and a dad going through the same thing as what my sister and brother-in-law went through. The death of a child, the greatest pain there is. So that is my purpose, to bring light to those in the dark and use my experiences to not just bring sympathy, to bring life-saving empathy. Yeah. What an incredible answer. Thank you. Yeah, amazing. Connor's legacy, you know, I mean, he had, I think it was around 500 people that were at his funeral. Um, Packed out. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. There, wasn't, there, was there wasn't enough room. Yeah, oh, unbelievable. And obviously, um, other people kind of are living um, because of the life that he had and the organs that he's given on. Um, and for such a young guy, he's had an unbelievable legacy. What would you like your own legacy to be? To have done the best that I could with my children, to install, install the morals, the characteristics and the personality of good people, to live, to live life right. To give them the strength to contend with whatever life throws their way. But to look at the bigger picture that once I'm gone, to leave evidence here that if ever my great, 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 great grandchildren are in trouble or they're going through hurt or pain, with all the stuff that I've got on social media and the stuff that I will put on social media and the stuff that is coming up in the future, that they, can, they will know that their great, 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 great granddad is only the click of a button away and they can see the bloodline in which they come from. Mm -hmm. It's all about showing an example of which to follow. If they know they're from the same bloodline, they know what they're capable of. They know that they can withstand the storm, that they can overcome adversity, that they can show resilience. But above all, I want to be remembered as someone that in amongst chaos and carnage, he showed kindness. We live in the United Kingdom and, and in a world where chaos and carnage often reign, kindness is king. Mm -hmm. Kindness is key and I urge people to show it however and whenever they can. Just be kind because it will take away so many problems in which we face. If kindness was shown to Connor that night, he would still be alive. If kindness was shown on social media instead of, instead of vulgar comments. Kids wouldn't be taking their life through, through, through bullying. 
kindness is the key. And yeah, I urge people to show it however and wherever they can. Mm -hmm. How do you define success? It's a hard one because society will tell us that we're successful if we've got a massive house, car in which we drive, the, the, the clothes in which we wear and how much money we've got in the bank. That's what, that's what society and culture will tell us how we are successful. And you'll have people ramming stuff down in your throat, earn these, earn seven figures, earn this, earn that. And, and do you know what? When, when life comes round and, and again, doesn't just knock on your door, smashes it off, off of the hinges, you cannot pay a problem off. You cannot put it in your Bugatti Veyron and tell it to keep on driving and never ever come back. You can't lock it in one of your six bedrooms and never ever go into that bedroom again. Mm -hmm. Or show it that lovely Armani or Gucci suit in which you're wearing and it's impressed and, oh, right, okay, I'm gonna leave you alone. Success is, is judged in many different ways. You might be going through extreme, extreme difficulties. You might be in, in, in extreme darkness and you will be a success if you get out of bed in the morning. So success can be shown in how much kindness you showed in the face of adversity, mm. how you reacted to something, the impact in which you had on someone else's life, someone that said, you know what, because of you, I didn't give in. Mm. I know I'm successful. I know I'm successful because I've got an email from a boy called Nick to tell me that I'm successful. I will get on any stage with any speaker in the world that wants a, who, who is a multi, multi-millionaire and I will put the money in your bank up against that email. How, how much is price? It's priceless. Mm -hmm. Because if that was your child, <laughs> if that was your child that was thinking that way, you would give up every single penny in which you have to, to, to reverse a situation or from stop it from happening. Trust me, that money in the bank is worthless. So yeah, I know I'm a success purely because I know for definite that from that one email, the first email in which, in which I received, there is someone walking this, this planet that might not necessarily have done so if I hadn't stepped up to the plate. And that, there's the key, because I know that I'm following Connor as much as I can, because people are walking this earth because of him. Mm. So instead of me giving my own organs at this particular time, which I can't do, um, that's the nearest that I can get to it, is use my words to, to actually make sure people are walking this planet. But success will be different to different people. Yeah. yeah. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? It's probably from my mum, where she said, she used to say, like if, like if a problem used to come up or uh, hardships or tests and trials, she used to say to me, there's lots to think about but there's nothing to worry about. Lots to think about, but nothing to worry about in this case. And it's true because 99% of what we worry about doesn't actually happen. And yeah, I thank my mum for that because that dug me out of so many holes. Yes, you can think about something. It's not as if you're burying your head in the sand and just kind of denying it or acknowledging that it's, or, or trying to you know, make it disappear. Mm -hmm. What you're doing is, yeah, you're thinking about it, you're assessing it and you're sorting it out. But don't let worry take away your, your, your present joy. Hmm. So yeah, it's so lots to think about, but nothing to worry about. That's a great piece of advice. I've never heard that either. <laughs> She's an amazing woman, my mum. Amazing <laughs> woman. If you had the opportunity to speak to your 20-year-old self, what would you say? First off, most probably, put a thousand pound on Leicester winning the 15-16 <laughs> Premier League, first and foremost. But on a serious note, then, then followed up by, yeah, life is the storm. You will go through the storms, you will get hit by hail, you will get hit by heavy rain, you will get hit by heavy winds. But guess what? Once that storm dies down, you will still be standing. Don't fear what comes your way. Fear is false evidence appearing real. Do not be fearful. Weather the storm, carry on until the sun shines again. 
<laughs> You've thought about that one. Hmm. <laughs> That's such maybe. a great... <laughs> maybe just a little bit. Maybe Jeez. just a little bit, so. Yeah. Whether then a 20-year-old 20, 20 me is, uh, would say, what, exactly. what are you yeah. talking about? Yeah. What's up with you? Yeah. Oh, I'm off to put a grand on Leicester. And he's like, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to hear about the storms. I don't want to hear about this weather, this rain. You can keep that. No, I'm putting a thousand pound on Leicester, man. So, yeah. But whether I would have listened or not is another thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you had the opportunity to change anything in the world, what would it be and why? Man, that is... That is a question and a half because you could go, you could go very deep with that. You could go unbelievably deep, but I suppose as it stands, the current education and justice system, mm. a complete overhaul. Because when you look at even uh, you know the educational system, they they have stuff called alternative education. If if a if a if a youngster kind of becomes disengaged, dysfunctional, and kind of falls out of you know the mainstream learning, they will go into alternative education, and it's a real investment in which is put into a time and support and really analysing what these kids are good at. I tell you what you do is you take away all the alternative hmm. and it becomes education because if that thing isn't working but that thing is it, it's actually dragging the kids back in who have fallen out it's the original stuff that's not working and you've got to then look at this way of doing things because listen a school is only as amazing as its finest teachers teachers are the key hmm. teachers are key but like anything in this world you will get the good and the bad you will get the good and the bad. You will get the teachers who care about their kids like you wouldn't believe and their heart breaks when, when these kids tell their stories and, uh, and they do something right and they've got so much joy for these kids. But then all of a sudden, you will get the ones who just clock in, clock out, and you say, oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a teacher. And they might be involved in the, in the activity of teaching, but they might not be actually teaching they might not these kids might not be learning so you're just someone who, who is there kind of carrying out actions and just being you know you know clocking in and clocking out mm -hmm. so an overhaul of this education system because so many of these kids are expected to learn how they are taught teachers have to start teaching how these kids learn. Because some of them are very visual, some of them are very hands-on, mm -hmm. some of them are good listeners, some of them are, 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 are very creative. Schools, in fact, to a certain degree, they kill creativity. You'll see these, you'll see these uh, uh, youngsters, oh, don't, don't do music, you'll never be a musician. Mm -hmm. Don't do dance because you'll never be a dancer. Mm -hmm. Man, like... Yeah. If, if, if you put them in a creative environment, man, they, 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 they will start to learn naturally. Watch them, watch them flourish. <laughs> but I'm all about taking, uh, uh, taking something out of its original environment to put it somewhere else. Because in, in life, we are taken out of our comfort zone. And it's often then that we feel like we've been buried, been buried under life's problems where in fact we've been planted to grow into something extraordinary. And it's not until we're planted somewhere else that we then flourish. Mm. And if these kids are given a different system, a different uh, a structure in which to follow, man, watch them flourish. But we're a very reactive culture instead of a very proactive culture. We will try and mop up the mess at the end instead of dealing with, with the core problem. But yeah, education system, I would change. In, uh, uh, the justice system, I would change. Yeah, that's, that's what I would do at this particular time, if I could. In what way would you change the justice system? Man, honestly, we, 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 we haven't got enough time. There, there's <laughs> so much. Um, honestly, we, we said about naming, you know, youngsters. Yeah. Uh -huh. I, I, I would, uh, you know, it's one of those things that, that if you're 
adult enough to carry out these actions and, and you want to step into a very, very adult world, you've got to deal with the adult consequences. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, you know, these youngsters are carrying out these, these, these actions, um, not being afraid of doing so, but mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, then once the consequences hit, that's when they go infantile and they was you know oh but I'm oh I'm scared little 13 14 year old boy and it's not the case so I honestly I could go boom, 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 with the reasons and the hows mm. and the whys of how I would change the justice system because it's it is it's crazy it's crazy do you feel it's failed you very much so mm -hmm. yeah so much so much was was done um you know, you're not allowed to bring up the background of the of the defendant, but you're allowed to try and blacken the character of, of, of the of the of, of the victim. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, how does that work? You can't bring up past history of of the assailant of the perpetrator because it will show them in a bad light. Honestly, well, if if that's your character, if that's your personality, if the, if that's what you're about, then. Listen, let's lay everything on the table. We'll, we'll mm. take all the bad stuff out. We'll bring all the bad stuff out about the, about the victim. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, it'll, it'll weigh an ounce up against the ton of the perpetrator, trust me. So yeah, let's get it all out on the table and let's, and let's, and let's look at everything. Let's have uh, uh, ultimate disclosure. Let's, yeah. let's have it all out on the table and then, and then we'll make our our uh, uh, decision based on that. But mm -hmm. yeah, I could go on forever. Honestly, it's, it's massive, Elliot, absolutely massive. But yeah, very much failed. But this is, this is the thing. It's very, very, very uh, uh, um, sticky ground because we speak to parents whose child have been murdered and they get, you know, the perpetrator gets a 10 year sentence, 15 year sentence. Do you know what? It makes the parents feel good for about 20 minutes, half an hour, but then the realisation of your loved one, your child will never ever come back. Mm -hmm. So nothing, nothing will, will, will ever be enough. Even if it was the death penalty where people say, ah, oh, they deserve the death penalty. Yes, they would go, but after 20 minutes, half an hour, the realisation would still come back that your loved one is still gone and it will not erase mm -hmm. the injustice because of the grief in which you're feeling, because of the love in which you had, have, and will forever have for that person. So mm -hmm. it will not erase it. Nothing will ever be enough, whether they get a not guilty or whether they get the death penalty and everything else in between 10, 15, 20 years, nothing is enough. But if you show kindness, that action never happens. Mm. Will that ever be the case? I don't think so but we have to show kindness where we can and however we can. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Oh, Jamie, I've had, you know, I've, I've loved um, speaking with you. Honestly, your, you um, your passion, your energy is just unbelievable. Uh, the work that you do is so inspiring and so incredible. Um, and yeah, I just think uh, you're just a, gr you're a really great guy. <laughs> Thank you very yeah. much. I will yeah. pay you later, sir. <laughs> <laughs> But honestly, no, it's a real honour coming on, Elliot. Thank you very much because any opportunity that I get to speak about my reasons as to why I do what it is that I do, um, any, any time that I get to speak about uh, Connor Saunders, any, time I get to, uh, any chance I get to speak about my family, any chance I get to speak about my beautiful girls, Tilly and Betsy, my son Ryan and, and my grandson Teddy and my beautiful wife Emma, any chance that I get, I, I, I'm, I'm truly, truly thankful for. So. Thank you very, very much for this opportunity, sir, honestly. No, it's, it's an absolute pleasure, honestly. Thank you. Jamie, thank you so much. Blessings. Cheers. You've been listening to Inspired Edinburgh. If you enjoyed this, please subscribe for more powerful conversations. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show, and we'll see you at the next episode.